Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 132, where in a moment we discuss NFTs. Great, another acronym. That's in a moment, as I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff, mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time, we featured a review of the Chancellor's Spring Budget. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and joining me as always, the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, we're not off to a good start here, Phil. You, you've done me in with another acronym here. You know I'm not a fan of acronyms. Today's show is on NFTs, so help me out here. What does that stand for? What is an NFT? Uh, NFT, it stands for non-fungible token. Now, basically, if something's non-fungible, it means that it's quite unique. It's not easy to exchange or replace with, with something else. An NFT, it's a, a digital asset. It can com come in the form of art, music, videos. So it can be quite varied. They, they generally tend to be encoded with the same sort of underlying software as many cryptocurrencies. So things like Bitcoin often uses the same sort of software as, as NFTs. But we, we'll kind of touch on that as we, we go through the show today. But NFT it stands for non-fungible token. Okay, you say you say Bitcoin, and I just go and get a little bit nervy. But we'll get onto that, as you say. How did NFTs come about then, Phil? Where did they originate? Yeah, I mean N NFTs have actually been around since two thousand and fourteen. Although it's only probably since two thousand and twenty-one that they've started to become a lot more popular. It's actually starting to become quite a popular way of people selling digital artwork. That's one of the things that it's, it's used quite a lot for at the moment. The first known NFT was mined on the 3rd of May 2014 by a digital artist called Kevin McCoy. And he sold his NFT, I think it was for $4, to someone called Anil Dash. So that's kind of like the first recorded NFT back in 2014. Okay, so so the idea is here that it's a digital asset, as you say. I'm thinking already, and well, I, again, we can come on to this, but you're cutting out the middle map. So traditionally, if you're looking at art, you're going to be cutting out things like art galleries, for instance. But how do NFTs work exactly? Yeah, I mean, for NFTs, they, they exist on what's called blockchain. Now, it, it's a distributed ledger that records transactions. So the, the blockchain is like the, the sort of technology that they're they're held on. You might have heard of the term blockchain when it comes to things like cryptocurrency. So things like your your Bitcoin, that's a, a phrase that often's associated with that. Now, what, what the, the blockchain is, is that's the underlying process that makes things like cryptocurrencies possible and NFTs as well. But essentially, NFTs, they're, they're like physical collector's items, but they're in digital form. It's unlike having like a physical like let's say physical piece of artwork, it's on your computer, it's digital. Same with like things like tickets, they, they're held in like a digital form. So instead of actually getting an oil painting to hang on the wall, the buyer gets a, a digital file instead. 
Now, purely in a, a world of choice, let's say, Phil, if you're talking about artwork, now, I, I'm not a big appreciator of art, but let's just say, for instance, I wanted to buy a piece of art. The whole point of buying the piece of art is so that you can appreciate it and hang it on your wall, isn't it? Uh -huh. I'm surprised that this has taken off. Would you not feel the same way if it was artwork that you were buying? I know. I guess like it's the same way with any sort of asset. People can download it and, and have it, but you're the actual one that owns it. So I guess that's where you know, the prestige of actually owning something. But you're right. It amazes me because, like for, for example, I, I've got an NFT. I actually forgot about it. I was doing research for the show. One of the guys in the office had said to me, he goes, oh, you've got that Wimbledon NFT. He goes, yeah, that's right. And I'll mention that again later on in, in the show. And then he also went on about the time we went to the Super Bowl. We got our, our tickets as an NFT. And I actually said to myself, oh, I forgot all about that. So I've, I've actually got four tickets from different sporting events as NFTs. And and I, it always amazes me that folk will pay, I mean, like the, the Super Bowl ticket, that one's selling for about 50 quid on wow. the digital exchanges just now. So I've got two of these myself, my one and my son's one, and it's got our actual ticket, but in a digital format. So I own the physical ticket that we got at the game, and I also own the, the digital one. Now, with a physical ticket, like you say, you've got that, you can kind of frame it, put it on your wall. But with the digital ticket, I guess they're... I own that digital ticket, but what would be to stop somebody copying it? But then I suppose you could say that about a physical ticket. Somebody could take a photocopy of it and then frame it, but I would still have the, the original. So I guess that's where it all comes in. You mentioned earlier that it works on blockchain, which is similar to cryptocurrency. You mentioned earlier about how the sort of basic software uses a lot of the same kind of stuff that cryptocurrency does. Are NFTs different from cryptocurrency, though? They, they are. I mean, they, they're generally using the same kind of programming. That's probably the, the easiest way to describe it. But that's really where the similarity ends. But what you will find, though, is that a lot of digital assets, the currency used to buy them is often cryptocurrencies. And we'll, we'll touch on that as well. But cryptocurrencies, they're digital currencies which are fungible. Whereas NFTs, they're digital assets as opposed to actual currency. An NFT, it, it's a crypto asset which records ownership of them. So that's where there, there's a kind of link there often. But if you've got, like, say, an image, a video, a text, that's an actual digital asset. And well, like I said, well, well, anybody can actually view these or, or even download them. It's only the buyer that can claim ownership to it. Okay, so but it is it is out there for other people to appreciate. Let's say, like you're you, like you're painting hanging on a wall. Someone can come yeah. along and look at it, but it isn't theirs to take home. No, suppose the, the the physical comparison would be you might own the actual painting, but anybody could go along and take a photo of it. So I suppose that's the the kind of yeah. yeah. equivalent. And the, yeah, exactly. I was about to say in the real world, but in the the more physical world as opposed to the the digital world. Okay, yeah, right back at the beginning, you said it, it could be, I mean, it's a digital asset, so it can be literally anything. It could be music, it could be artwork, it could be videos, it could be anything. What sort of NFTs can you can you get? Oh, there, there's so many things. So, so you can get, like, artwork, GIFs, songs, videos. People have done NFTs of photographs. 
as I mentioned, I've got my, my Super Bowl tickets as, as NFTs, which I'd had actually forgotten about. But I, so I've probably got about £150 worth of tickets yeah, as exactly. NFTs. That honestly, I, I forgot all about it. And it wasn't until Kevin had said, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember I've, I've got that now. So collectibles is another one. I mean, I, I collect football programmes and I've, I've heard of people like, making NFTs out of, out of those tickets, as I, I mentioned there. Other NFTs, things like virtual avatars, video game skins. I've even heard of like people doing designer trainers as NFTs. And music's another big one as well. So, so many things and so many, like if someone was looking to invest in NFTs, there's so many different areas that it covers. And I suppose, and, and this is the thing, if you are if you are the uh, the content generator, let's say, so if you're the the creator of uh, of an NFT, uh, let's just say, for instance, you're Beyonce or Jay Z or whatever, you can make this one of a kind, absolutely bespoke, really easily by saying, okay, so this is your version of my album. Thanks for buying it. Phil, lots of love, Beyonce. And you record this five-second video. It's equivalent to one of those things that you were going to get for my birthday from Sam Fox. It's <laughs> <laughs> equivalent to getting a cameo. But, you know, you do that and you put that in the front of the, the digital asset. Maybe you make it available before the actual physical release of, of whatever it is that you're putting out there, an album, or you do it with a bonus track or whatever. You could, yeah. you could make an absolute bucket load of cash. Well, I was uh, like if, and Andy Murray, he he did a like a Wimbledon NFT. I think it was like an image of when he won the Wimbledon for the first time. Yeah. And it sold at auction. It was $177,777. So it was like over £150,000 that went for, which is just it's a staggering amount just for somebody to pay for for that digital asset. And let me tell you, let me ask over time, Phil, you know, you're talking about your tickets. Let's use that as an example, yeah. your your digital tickets. Do they increase in value over time? See, I'd say, I, I, I suppose that's the, the million dollar question, is it? And, and it all kind of comes down to supply and demand. So I suppose if, if somebody was asking me, is, is investing in NFTs a good idea? I, I would say it's supply and demand is, is the thing. And c coming back to the, the one that I bought, the, the Wimbledon one, I, I kind of looked at it and I thought, right, Wimbledon's quite reputable. So they were selling this NFT. So I thought, right, it's somebody I can trust. And then I, I wasn't going to do it. I got through this, do you want to go in the ballot? So I went in the ballot. My name came up. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll do it or no. And there, there was only, you had, say, a week to to take up the offer. And it was about the last day I went online, saw an article. And at that point, I think there'd been 40,000 people had applied. And, and it was only maybe say 10,000 mm. of these images. They're, each one was like limited to 100, 100 digital editions of each one. So I, I thought oh, for 500 quid, it cost me. And I went on, I was like, right, there seems to be a lot of demand and the supply is, is low. So I, I paid my £500 for that. And at the minute, it's got a floor value of about £1,500. Hmm. So and, and that it's kind of stayed around that almost since they, they came out. So it hasn't really gone up in value. Same as well, the, the Super Bowl tickets that I've got, the digital ones. I remember looking at the time, they were about £50 each and they're still at that sort of value. So the stuff I've got hasn't really gone up. But again... It all depends on how much somebody's willing to pay for something. I mean, mm. to, to give you an example, the Twitter co-founder, Jack Dorsey is his name. Oh, yeah. He's, he 
he did an NFT of his first ever tweet on Twitter and sold it for more than £2 million. Now, would that go up and down our value? I guess it all depends how much somebody's willing to pay for it, but then you don't have many people with a spare £2 million quid to, to buy it, do you? So it's all fine saying, right, the value's this, but it's like getting somebody that's willing to pay that amount. And, and you'll get some experts that'll say NFTs are, are a bit of a bubble that's poised to, to kind of pop a wee bit like the, the dot-com sort of craze all those years ago. And and then you do have others that believe NFTs are here to stay and that they'll change investing forever. So you've got a lot of different kind of viewpoints on it. But one thing I would say about investing in NFTs is that one thing to note is you don't have the same protections if things go wrong. So unlike some investments where you might have access to the financial ombudsman service or the financial compensation scheme, that's something that you're not likely to, to have uh, if you're okay. investing in NFTs. Okay, that's a good one to bear in mind. One of the things you always got about is is how quickly scammers are to adapt to anything new. And I imagine, given the fact we're in the world of digital here anyway, scams in the NFT world are, are, are probably quite big, but are they? They are. I mean, that, that's it. If, if you're scammed, it's very hard to recover that money as well. And what, what you'll tend to find, some scammers, they, they'll try to deceive people out of money either directly or by trying to get access to a person's digital wallet. So that's where a lot of your things will be, be stored. There was a seller that posed as Banksy, and he actually succeeded in selling an NFT supposedly made by the artist. And I think that was for almost about £300,000 back wow. in 2021. Now, fortunately for the person that bought that on that occasion, the seller did actually refund the money, but others have, have not been as fortunate. So there's a lot of kind of what you'll find with NFTs that there'll be a lot of hacking, a lot of plagiarism. Fraud in the NFT world is it's important to be careful of that as well. So a lot of things to to look out for. And what what you'll tend to find most NFT scams, they're either trying to steal your cryptocurrency wallet information or they're trying to dupe people into purchasing fake NFTs. So there is a lot to be wary about there as well. And I would have thought, Phil, I mean, okay, let's say you you bought one of a kind. I would still have thought that if you have a digital asset and it's on a computer someone would be able to go and, and literally pinch it. <laughs> does, that, does that sound out, yeah, out the are, question? I mean, that's it. There are kind of like security points there. So, for for example, the wallet that I've got, the, the company that does that, I've got a password, but then I have to put in about 10 different phrases to, to actually get to, okay. to where I want to be. So, so the technology is there to kind of try and keep things safe. But um, they, if you're... It kind of is, it's, it, like I say, it's something I know a bit about having got some of these things myself, but if that information was to fall into the wrong hands, like I say, it could be quite devastating for you at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to build in a retina scan like they do in the James Bond movies as well, where you put your eye up to the screen. You said it was usually done with cryptocurrency. How do you go about buying NFTs then, Phil? Yeah, but so buying an NFT, it, it involves a few different steps. So the, the first thing you need to do is choose a, a platform. There, there's several NFT marketplaces available. So some of the popular ones, one called OpenSea, Nifty Gateway, and Super Rare. So that's a few of the, the kind of marketplaces that's available. On there, you can browse the different collections and the things like artists. They've got 
sort of various things available on each platform. So you can go on there and choose the sort of things that, that suit your interests. Like I mentioned, you, you need to create cryptocurrency wallet. So that's another thing that, that you need to do as well. And NFTs, they're typically bought using cryptocurrencies. So you need to create your, your cryptocurrency wallet and fund it with a relevant cryptocurrency before you can buy NFTs as well. Again, we, we haven't really we haven't sort of done a podcast on cryptocurrencies, but I think that's one that we'll do at some point in time. Once you've selected your, your platform and funded your wallet, at that point, you can have a look and see what you want to, to buy. You'll need to confirm the transaction, pay any associated fees. Like you said, said earlier, you're often cutting out the, the middleman. That, that is one of the good things with, with NFTs. But the cost of NFTs, that's all got to depend on a lot of different factors. So things like the rarity, popularity of whoever's producing it. So again, back to this sort of supply and demand there. And if it was an artist that had a really good reputation, if they were to launch an NFT, you might find that the demand's really high for that. And so you've got some NFTs that have sold for, like I say, millions of dollars or pounds. And then you've got others that are a lot more affordable as well. So but I would say if somebody is investing in NFTs, do the, do your research, set a budget as well before you're buying anything there. Just going back to cryptocurrency for a second, Phil, I'll come, I'll come on to yeah. purchasing NFTs more in, in a moment. But going back to cryptocurrency, and you said you have to set up your digital wallet and you have to get your cryptocurrency. I'm assuming that the way that you go about getting cryptocurrency is someone will say, right, you can have this in cryptocurrency for £100 and you actually have a, a physical transaction where you put for want of a better term, real money of your own into their account to give you the cryptocurrency yeah. that you then require to, to exchange for whatever it is you're buying. Is that sound about right? That's right. So so yeah. Bitcoin's probably the, the most well-known of the, the cryptocurrencies. So I guess you, you've also got a bit of currency risk there as well, because if Bitcoin price is low, that's great if you're buying in that currency but if the price of that goes up, then that's going to affect the, the movements as well. So that that's quite an important point as well, John. Yeah, so you, you're basically trading before you trade in this instance, aren't you? Yeah. You've got that currency risk as well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds a bit like there's quite a lot of risk attached to it, Phil, because when you're talking about the NFTs, they're only as valuable as someone is prepared to pay for it. I mean, there aren't, there aren't any outside factors that might influence it as such, are there? I know, that's it. Uh, I mean, it, the price of NFTs can be influenced by a var like a variety of factors, and some of them is like well scarcity and rarity. So, if somebody deems something to be quite scarce, then that can drive the the prices up. So, if something's part of like a limited edition collection, so like that Wimbledon one that I've got was was a limited edition collection, so that probably drives the the prices up. So, and again with that one because that particular thing was oversubscribed. That was the reason I went for it. I thought, oh, it looks like there's demand is high. Mm. And my £500 now is kind of multiplied to £1,500. How easy it would be to sell is another matter. You might have to put onto these exchanges and, and wait a bit to, to sell. Other things that, that affect kind of the, the prices as well, the popularity. So if you've got like a popular artist or brand associated with a particular NFT, that, that can impact its price. That's probably another thing to watch out for, though, is like celebrity endorsements can often be sort of scams and, and things as well. So just be, be careful there. But if the artist or brand's got a large following or a strong reputation, 
It can create higher demand for NFTs, which again leads to, to higher prices. With the secondary market, the, the prices of NFTs there, I mean, what, what you'll find if one goes to, like, say, a public auction, if that then sells for one figure, that might then impact future sales of a similar NFT as well. So there's a lot of different factors to take into account. Also, kind of like current events and news can, can impact it as well. Mm-hmm. So external events like different sort of news coverage, like I mentioned, celebrity endorsements. I, I remember once on eBay, this is like physical assets as opposed to digital ones, but I remember a lot of Rolf Harris's paintings were on eBay. <laughs> and after he got to jail, the price of them actually just dropped like a stone. Yeah. So you probably had people that invested in his art thinking good long-term thing that I'll be able to sell in the future. And there's just an example of something external that can affect price. And that could affect digital kind of asset as well. But I I would say it's really important to note that NFT prices, they can be highly volatile. And as as with any investments, they come with risks as well. So it really is important to do your research, assess the factors that we've spoken about before you make any investment decisions. Mm. And you don't want to be properly Rolf Arude. The idea of, again, we'll go with art again, because I think that's quite a a solid example. And I was saying, well, you cut out the middleman because you don't use the art gallery. But the platforms that these things are selling on, presumably when you buy, that that's what they're, that's how they're trading. They're, they're, they've provided the platform. So you're going to pay some form of inve- investment to to them as well, aren't you? For, just for that's using it. the platform, yeah. One of the terms that, that I saw when I was doing research for this show is they, they call it gas fees. So that's one of the fees that, that you often have to pay. But again, it's... Like any fees, it's just looking at that to see what you'll pay and, and how much it's going to cost. Okay, so when it comes down to it, Phil, and this is the, the $64,000 question or possibly more, just because we can buy NFTs, should we? Or is there more of a sort of wait and see investment? I, I would say like the decision to buy an NFT, it should really be based on your personal financial situation. You've also got to take into account your investment goals and, and risk tolerance is a big one because... Everybody likes the idea of making big gains, but very few people are actually willing to take the risks that are often associated with that. And as I mentioned, NFTs, they can be highly volatile. They're quite speculative investments in some cases, and the prices can fluctuate rapidly. It's important to to thoroughly research the NFT market and assess the the various factors that impacts on, on price before you make any investment decisions. And so some investors, they might choose to buy NFTs as a long-term investment, but then you do get other people that are more interested in them as a short-term thing to try and make quick gains, almost a bit like sort of trading. Um, but whatever the case, it's important to have a clear understanding of the risks that's involved and only invest what you can afford to lose. That That's something that's kind of really important here. And before you buy any NFT, consider factors such as the platform's reputation and security, mm. the authenticity and uniqueness of the NFT, and the demand for, say, like the artist or, or collection. It may also be helpful to speak to a financial advisor or, or do your own research to determine if buying an NFT aligns with your investment strategy and goals. What you will find, though, is that a lot of financial advisors won't know an awful lot about this subject. So, yeah. Probably more something you're going to have to do a lot more legwork yourself. This was exactly the question that I was about to ask, you know, because they're relatively new. And I suppose this may go for, for the likes of cyber currency as well. When you're talking about that, it's 
also relatively new. Is your is your bog standard financial advisor going to be in a position where they can they can actually talk about this with some sense of knowledge? See, I'd say financial advisors aren't going to advise on like currencies. So, for example, cryptocurrencies and even things like the forex markets. That's like your foreign exchange markets. A financial advisor is not going to advise on that. So that's more kind of like speculative investing. And, and you always hear success stories, people saying, oh, I bought su- such and such cryptocurrency and it's gone up by this. But there's always losers in that situation as well. And people are never quite, quite so quick to point out their losses as, as their wins. So it's very risky. That, that's the one thing that I would say with, with that. So again, financial advisors, some, some might be able to help you a wee bit when it comes to things like NFTs and cryptocurrencies, but generally most are not going to be just too involved in that space. Okay, that comes as part of the show where Phil looks back over the course of his own life, both professionally and personally, to find an example of how today's topic has affected his own situation. So, Phil, today, non-fungible tokens, we've spoken about it a little bit, I suppose, but what do you have on that? Yeah, like like I say, I, I bought that Wimbledon NFT back in 2022. At the time, there were more than 40,000 tennis fans entered the ballot to be able to purchase one of these. It was like Wimbledon centenary digital artwork is, is what it was. So I've downloaded the picture that I that I own. So I've always got that there that I could display and print it off in colour or display it, frame it, whatever I want. But I, I've actually owned that kind of limited edition artwork and I, I paid £500 for it. And I remember at the time thinking, Phil, you're mad, paying £500 just for a, a <laughs> digital thing. And But I, I looked at the supply and demand, and as of today, the, the current floor price is £1,534. Now, like I say, can you sell it quickly? It's all supply and demand, that's the thing, but that's kind of like what it's worth at the minute. But then I suppose it's only really worth what somebody's willing to, to pay for it. And then the, the other one that I own was that Super Bowl, well, the, the NFL tickets. So I've got four of them, which I own, which is probably worth about £150 roughly for, for them. But I actually, until Kev had mentioned that this morning, I'd actually forgotten I, I had it. <laughs> so that, that just goes to show that something that's probably important if you've got digital assets is to make sure that it's documented so that if anything happens to you, people know they're there because mm. if anything happens to me, nobody would know that that assets probably exist. So good to have a record of it somewhere as well. It would be an interesting thing as well to leave in a will, Phil, because you'd have to you'd have to leave the ability to sign in, as you say, you had those sort of 10 levels. Yeah. <laughs> you'd have to leave all, all of those instructions in order to do that, I suppose. The other thing that was crossing my mind there when you were talking about it, you, you've entertained nfts as a buyer have you um approached it as a seller I'm, I'm wondering for instance how you go about that does it is it a bit like ebay do you put something on the market for a certain period of time and people are able to bid how do they arrive at the value for the you know you said one five three four i think it was being the yeah. floor the floor value how good is that as a guarantee you know all of these things cross my mind in terms of being a yeah. seller I know that's it, because like it's okay saying, right, that's the floor value, but you've got to get somebody to actually pay that. That that's the thing. So I mean, some of them, the, the one that I own, some people are trying to sell that for thousands. Now, maybe someday somebody will come along and buy it, but while there's one there cheaper, they're more likely if if there is demand, they're gonna buy that one. So that that is it's all down to supply and demand. And that's I, I'd probably say, I mean. 
it's not really a liquid asset. I mean, unlike if you've got certain assets that you can cash in quite quickly to get the price you want, you may have to bide your time. So that's mm-hmm. that's another thing with, with this as well. Okay. All right. Well, I think it's a wait and see as far as I'm concerned, Phil, I have to be honest. Um, <laughs> Phil is really keen on helping you with your queries and we'll get on to this week's in just a moment. But first, Phil's quote of the week. You've always been a fan and collector of quotes, Phil, certainly for as long as I've known you. What do you have on our, on our topic this week? Non-fungible tokens. Yeah, this one's from somebody called Mike Winkleman. He's also known as as Beeple. I'll go and touch on that in a, a moment. But his quote was, I believe we're seeing the beginning of something that's going to be absolutely huge. The internet has disrupted so many different industries, and I think the art world is next. Now, this chap that's known as Beeple, he actually is a, a digital artist, and he sold an NFT artwork for a record-breaking fifty million pounds. It was over, wow. I think, fifty million pounds back in twenty twenty-one. So it's quite incredible that somebody would pay that for for digital artwork, but. Just shows if some some folk got the money. It just it's nuts. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, Phil. He might have got that in cryptocurrency, but I bet he got that into an actual bank as quickly as he possibly could <laughs> directly afterwards. He obviously has a lot of followers who, no doubt, will be called Beeple People. Now, mm-hmm. Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your queries, as I say. So, if you ever want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask it anonymously if that's how you prefer things to go. Let's get on to this week's contact details in just a second. We'll give it to you after this. We've got this one today because it's in a similar vein to the show, Phil. So, see what you make of this. Hi, Phil. I've never invested in, but remain hugely interested by the world of cryptocurrency, purely as an observer for now. I've met and spoken to some investors who are hugely into it and others who are as vehemently opposed. I'd love to know your thoughts on cryptocurrency investing. Yeah, I mean, cryptocurrencies, it's not something that I've got a huge knowledge on. I know that some people will trade and buying and selling foreign currency through the, the foreign exchange markets. And it, like I said earlier, it's something that a financial advisor isn't really going to, to advise on. And what I would say, investing in cryptocurrencies, it comes with significant risks. And the, the value of cryptocurrencies can be highly volatile. And then you've also got the risks of things like fraud and hacking as well. So it's not something that I would really be able to kind of give much advice or guidance on. I know a lot of people do it. Some people do it with, with good success. Others don't have that same success. But it is an area that's kind of, I'd probably say that I didn't really know enough about to, to give a, a really good answer to that one. Do you know if there are specialist firms? I mean, there are firms that deal in specific things in terms of finance. Are there firms that deal in cryptocurrency or advise in cryptocurrency, Phil? I mean, like regulated financial advisors won't deal with that. So so again, any anybody that is offering any advice or guidance on that sort of thing, it's got to be unregulated. So when I mentioned earlier about the protections like the financial services compensation scheme and the financial ombudsman, those sort of things wouldn't come in with, with cryptocurrencies. Hopefully the, the financial regulator, the, the financial conduct authority, hopefully that's something they can maybe start to do a, a bit of regulation on. But it com- like I say, it comes with, with quite a bit of risks there. Any idea how long it would take for something like the the FRA to to say right? Okay, we now think that this is around to stay. It might be volatile, but we believe that we should be starting to regulate on it. When would they make a call on that? Do you think, Phil? Yeah, it's th- it's things that they are looking into. I know, but as such, nobody knows when anything might come in. And I, I think that's one of the things with, with like the online world is that it is a lot more difficult for regulators to kind of. Mm 
police almost. And then you've got different countries that have got different like rules and, and things as well, which complicates it. So hopefully we will we'll see more kind of things come in from the, the financial regulator there as well. Okay. So at the end of the day, they're there to protect people and and for also for people that have confidence in financial markets. And that, that's one of the things is that if folk are getting scammed or hacked, for example, or fraud, that all impacts on financial confidence. So hopefully that will be, be areas that the regulator will look to, to tackle. Okay, next up, here's one from Leanne in Colchester, who has a question about property investment. She says, hi, Phil, my husband and I are looking at investing in a property abroad where our intention is to stay there for a couple of weeks in the year ourselves, but lease it out as a holiday villa the rest of the year round. I know, generally speaking, in the past, you've spoken about property being a good investment in the longer term, but I wondered if that also included property abroad. Have you experienced in this type of investment? Would you recommend it? You know what? There's pros and cons of of property overseas, and we, we could probably do a whole podcast episode on, on this kind of subject. To be honest, one one of the pros are that if you get a good location in a country where demand's rising, then potentially you you could do very well. Something that's a pro and a con is the exchange rate. So, depending on, I mean, if you're buying in a currency other than sterling, you could win with that, or you could lose depending on the the exchange rate. So that's something that's both a positive and a negative when it comes to to buying overseas. And then one thing that's maybe not so good is you can sometimes encounter legal or tax issues. So buying abroad can be more complex than in the UK. You've got different legal systems to navigate, different tax systems. So sometimes that can be costly and time consuming. So there's some advantages, but also some disadvantages there as well. Is it something that's become easier to facilitate with the likes of Airbnb? It really depends on the country that you're you're buying in. That that's one of the things, and so it's not so much like I mean, some people will buy think places for things like Airbnb, but if you're buying overseas, I mean, some some people might just pick a country that prices are low, and then all of a sudden they rocket, so they may do really well. But there's a lot of pros and a, a lot of cons as well. Okay. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 132 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for Finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. And as I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's how you prefer to do things. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.